Hey, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's nice to be here. Uh, what's your name? John Green. And what's your um, official title or position right now in terms of your work? Um, well, I wear many hats, but I suppose uh, my main one is I'm director of the Mercury Internet School of Psychological Astrology, MISPA, um, which is here in the UK, but it's an online school. So we have students worldwide. Okay. And your primary thing is psychological astrology, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, it's We're sort of changing what we do all the time as there are new discoveries, as people research more into the past. So I'd say it's probably already moved on from what we originally set it up as. And, you know, I'm trying to make it a more sort of fully rounded astrological school, but with the focus coming from the psychological. Sure. And in terms of the history, um, your school, it's not a spin-off, but it's somewhat loosely connected with the Center for Psychological Astrology, right? Um, yeah, well, I suppose we could call it a sister school or something like that. I mean, I can explain the history, which is um, I, I personally studied under the CPA, uh, Center for Psychological Astrology, when it was based in London and just doing London classes. And I, I took my diploma there. Um, and then started teaching for them not that long afterwards, actually, and I was teaching their diploma. Um, then a few years passed, and Liz Green, who was the director of the school, decided that she didn't want to, to run diploma courses anymore. So she was happy to run seminars and, and talks, but didn't want to be in the sort of formal process of um, exams and you know, judging what people did and what level they were. Um, so she took that step and it meant there was no longer a diploma course in the UK or the EU, you know, on psychological astrology. And that had existed for like 30 years since the 1980s. Right? That's right. Yes. She'd set that up in the 1980s with Howard Susportas. And so um, I, was, I started teaching the foundation course for that school as an online um, course. And we were getting an awful lot of interest, you know, from people that knew about the CPA, that had read Lizzie's books, Howard's books, and so on. And whilst I could take them to that beginner's level, and I also ran a sort of intermediate class to build them up, um, it was obvious that, you know, people were looking for a piece of paper, you know, something to say that they, <laughs> their peers had judged them and said, you know, this is fine, they're of a good enough standard. And I sort of get that. It's one of those things... You know, I think not everybody wants people. Some people don't want to have a qualification or worry about that too much. But I think it's important for many, many people, particularly in a field like astrology, where we, you know, have a variety of schools. And, you know, it's nice to, to know where that person has been trained, what they might have learned. So I basically started thinking about the diploma course. And initially I, I approached Liz to see if she would be interested in running it through the CPA, but maybe taking a, a little bit of a back seat, um, you know, and having the other people do it. And um, I went out for, well, I went to her house and had lunch with her. And um, she said that, no, she had enough of, of that side of things. And she was sort of taking a little bit of a back seat anyway. So as I <laughs> already had in my head, I said, well, if you don't, do you mind if I do and set up my own school? And she said, well, I'd be delighted and I'm happy to support you. So that's how Mercury Internet School was, was born or Miss Bill was born, really. Um, uh, so I took that. Um, I was 
very pleased Liz wrote us wrote a letter that we put on the CPA website and our website saying how this was perhaps the next step, the next progression. And I mean, when I spoke to her, her feeling was that she wanted someone who wouldn't just do a carbon copy of what she was doing, but would lead it forward in their own direction. Mm. And so, you know, as we'd worked together for some time, luckily she thought that I was that, you know, the right person to do that and happy to give her blessing. And she still does webinars for us once a year, um, which is, you know, which is fabulous. So that's basically how it set up. And then I just set about finding the tutors I wanted. And I took, um, you know, I, I approached ones that had already worked for the, for the CPA, but then also students that I'd, um, you know, studied alongside that I thought, you know, were, were ready to, to take that next step. And so that's what we set up. And then since then, we've sort of expanded and added some other tutors and we brought in uh, people like Sean Nygaard from the States. Um, and then we have guest tutors coming in um, as well each term. So that's the way. And I see it as constantly evolving. You know, tutors will change, That you know, new ones will come in. And, I, you know, I, I like to go around the sort of conferences around the world and look for people that I think will, will fit that, um, you know, where we're coming from, if you like. Right. Uh, yeah, because you're part of then like a lineage, which is interesting, like the, the restarting of a modern astrological lineage of astrologers um, through your school and through that school, the CPA, but even going back maybe even a generation before that. Um, could we talk a little bit about, on the podcast, I've talked a lot about the origins of modern astrology and the revival of modern astrology in the early 20th century, especially in the first half, mm. but I haven't covered a lot the psychological um, revival or the focus on depth psychology that really got going in the 1960s and 70s. Do you know a lot of that history or is that something? I, I, it's not a, a <laughs> you know, a specialist subject of mine or whatever, but I mean, obviously a lot grow out of the work of, of Leo and um, Rudyard coming forward. And then it sort of starts certainly again, becoming focused in, I think, with the work of Liz Green and, and Howard. Um, they were they started teaching when Liz came to the UK in, in the eighties, and um, they got together. And I mean, they were originally teaching from people's houses and you know apartments they could borrow and this type of thing. And she was a Jungian analyst, and was he as well, or what was his background? Um, Howard had trained in psychosynthesis, so he'd followed you know Sagioli. Um, and obviously that, again, was quite a astrological-based um, psychology. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, many people may know as well that, you know, Liz has since, you know, looked a lot into Jung's uh, work and published a couple of books, you know, in the last few years, one on the Red Book and one on Jung and astrology. And, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think it's well known enough how much Jung did use astrology. Right. Um, that it wasn't just a case, you know, there were mentions in his um, books of the astrology experiment, which was like a sinistry experiment that he did uh, with his work on synchronicity. Um, but actually, you know, from the research that Liz has done, it's quite obvious that he was doing charts for pretty much all of his clients. Um, and that was going on. His daughter was drawing them up for him because he wasn't particularly good at drawing up the charts. And um, and he was using that. So, you know, there was a lot going on in the background. 
there are some quotes that I've come across where he sort of then dismisses astrology. There's a few in, in letters and stuff. Um, but I get the feeling that a lot of that was because he was desperate to be a scientist, desperately to be accepted in that and didn't want to scupper his chances. But in the background, he was certainly playing around with it and using it with his clients. Right. So it seems like while we see people as early as Rudyard in the 1930s starting to integrate Young a little bit, it seems like it's not until people like Liz Green come along that you know, the full apparatus of Young's work really gets integrated and synthesized into contemporary astrology in a, in a serious way, right? Yeah, I would say that's the case. Um, and you know, certainly with the work of, of um, Liz and Howard, that's where it comes into focus. Um, I think it's. I think some people get a little bit worried sometimes that psychological astrology is all about Jung, if you like. And whilst you know his psychology is a very good fit in many ways, you know, for astrology, and I mean even to the point that I would say that some of his theories are guided from the, the history of astrology or the workings of astrology. Um, you know what what we're trying to do now is is keep abreast of you know, various different psychologies and, and what is current that also fits astrology. Um, not every psychology works particularly well with astrology. Um, but I think, you know, that often people's viewpoint of, of psychological astrology is it's basically studying Jung, which we certainly do, <laughs> and we look at that. But, you know, I, I think it's more, for me, that psychological astrology is a broader thing, which is purely looking at it you know, when you have interactions between people and when it is focusing on, on, you know, personality of people and what they feel and what they think and what's going on inside, that's a psychological thing. Whether you want to name it after a particular theory is a bit irrelevant, really. It's more sure. about, you know, the, the slant, if you like, that you're taking. Sure. So let's talk about that then and define that. I mean, what is psychological astrology and how could we differentiate that from like let's say some other form of astrology or some tradition like what is the underlying emphasis that's important to convey if there was a new student of astrology that didn't know what made psychological astrology different from any other approach i mean i think it's the, the focus is probably on the on the person's psyche on, on their psychology and so rather than it necessarily you know our focus is not necessarily on the prediction of events. It's not that we don't do that and it's not that we don't look at trends, but we look at it from, from, I suppose, a process of development. You know, what is going on in this person's life? What, what is going on in the world out there that is impinging on them and how might that relate, you know, to their psyche? So I suppose, you know, it's, the focus is more on people and it's more on helping, really, um, rather than helping them make, say, a decision, you know, do I buy this house or do I um, take this job or whatever. It's more about them growing as a person. Um, and that's not in a, a wishy-washy way either. Um, you know, we tend to go quite deeply when we work long-term with clients um, in working them so that, you know, helping them work out through problems that they may have. Um, to, through complexes um, in their life, through repetitions that they see in their life where they keep falling into the same pattern over and over again. And helping them, you know, framing that in an astrological context, you know, so <laughs> this is a 
Venus square Saturn thing, um, but then taking it into the psychological, well, what does that mean? You know, what has been, what Venusian things have been denied by the fact that Saturn is square to it? How's that manifested in their life, which may have come from circumstances, it may have come from treatment by their caregivers or parents or whatever, or relationships they've had. And how can they work with those, you know, how can they get Saturn and Venus to work together better, basically, to go forward and perhaps improve their relating styles and, and how they are with, with people to feel more comfortable in themselves. And, you know, so the focus in, is helping people become, I suppose, the best person they can be, you know, given the chart, which is, you know, there anyway and, and is still sort of part of that. But, you know, we have a flexibility to it. It's not set in stone. Um, yes, a Venus square Saturn will always be a Venus square Saturn. But by being aware of, of what it does in your life, you know, I think you can make certain judgments, you can make certain changes in your approach to life that can make that work. You can work alongside it rather than fighting it all the time or falling into the traps of it. Sure. So using astrology as a tool for self-development de- and growth mm. rather than just strictly as like a predictive or a divinatory tool for making statements about the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think, I mean, one of the broader context, you know, I think whenever people work as astrologers, in an awful lot of cases, it is psychological astrology. You may not name it as that, but as soon as you're sitting there with a client, you know, whether you're giving them advice on something they're doing or on a relationship or, you know, telling them what something that may be coming up, you're interacting with another person. There's a, you know, there's a psychological connection between the astrologer and the client. And so I think it's important that we don't ignore that whatever work, astrological work we do, you know, it's, we can't be blasé and just go, well, I'm just telling him what the stars say or just telling him what the astrology says. You know, it, it's important to, to think, well, how, does, how might that affect that person? You know, wh- what are they like inside? And, you know, sometimes by giving an information, you know, are they going to blindly follow that or is it going to, um, you know, cause them difficulties in other areas of their life? So it's looking at it in a more, I hate the word holistic because it always brings up these sort of, Images of, you know, perhaps being a bit airy fairy, but it, you know, it's this idea, you know, treating everything together um, and making sure that you know that we are being careful as astrologers and, and taking responsibility. Yeah, that's really brilliant and something that probably was missing from the tradition up until that point is considering how the astrologer, what the astrologer says, will impact the client and maybe. Just because you can say something doesn't mean that you should or that you should be careful how you say it because of the impact it may have. Yes, I, I, you know, I think that's vital. And I think you know, it's one of the, the things that has perhaps come up, um, particularly you know, over the last few decades as, as there's been this wonderful you know, wealth of translations and rediscovery of old techniques. And it's very easy to get lost in those you know, and, and go, well, isn't this marvellous? This is what they did. And the, you know, these are house systems we hadn't thought of before and, and techniques and, you know, going into that. And it's brilliant. And, I, and I'm really happy that we, we're building on this information. But we mustn't lose sight in technique that we're actually providing a service as an astrologer and we're working with other human beings. And it isn't, you know, a closed box 
you know, that they have emotions, they have feelings, they have instincts and so on, that, that we need to take into account um, when we're working with them. Right. Um, so it's it's not just a matter of just throwing it out and giving it to the client and saying it's the, up to them how they deal with it, but being really cognizant of how you're presenting that information. Uh, yes. And, and knowing how to talk to a client. Uh, I mean, um, certainly at, at MISPA, what we what we ask is that students have um, are either undergoing therapy themselves or have done, you know, in a recent past, and also that they have, uh, you know, undertaken at the very least a counselling skills course, because it's you know it's not just about being aware. Well, this might upset the client if I say that or whatever. It's about being able to read a client to listen to them, you know, to hear what they're not saying, but that's going underneath, whether that's through, you know, their body language or the things they don't say as much as the things they do say. And I think, you know, even just a small amount of training in counselling skills allows us to be better astrologers because we, we become aware of how we affect them. The fact that it's an interactive process, um, the fact that they will put things on us you know, I mean, in psychological terms, that's transference, and then you have counter-transference going back. Um, but in simple terms, you know, it, it's about us being aware that because we are telling them stuff and they're like, well, how does this person know this about my life? That they may see us as, you know, an authority, um, as a, a guru or a, a wizard or whatever, um, or even, you know, in a parental role this type of thing. And so you get that transference from them and it will bring in stuff from their background, how they've been treated by authority in the past, what was their relationship like with those figures. And so, you know, that's coming into the room, whether you like it or not as an astrologer, and you, and you may not want that, but you can't avoid it, you know, because it that's how they see it. If you're sitting there, um, you know, as we probably get quite used to doing, which is, you know, describe, even if we're just doing describing the personality or telling them about things in the past, to them, that's a revelation because we haven't met them. We don't know them. How does this person know that? Right. And immediately you've been elevated. Um, and so that's putting something on you. Now, so they may see you in a, you know, a father or mother role or whatever. Well, depending on their relationship with their father and mother or people in that um, position, that may not just be, well, isn't this wonderful, this person's authority. It may be, you know, dad didn't love me enough or he never respected me or, you know, mum didn't do this. And so that then gets put alongside it, unconsciously, of course, but it's there in the room. And so we need to be prepared and be able to notice that and, and gently, you know, put it back to them. Um, and also be aware of, you know, if they are treating us like that, how we may then respond. How do we respond when we're put in that thing? You know, if someone sees us as an authority figure, do we get inflated? Do, do we get anxious because we don't want to be put in that position, you know, and then we're putting that back on them. So, you know, it's an important process to understand. And as I said, it doesn't matter what type of astrology you're doing. I think it's something that, you know, an awareness of and an understanding of how to work with is important. Yeah, uh, just because it puts a tremendous amount of power in the astrologer's hands, but being able to be sure that especially new students of astrology know how to use that wisely and in a way that's helpful or healing to the client and not the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 
I found it very encouraging, actually, that the, the last few years when I've been to, um, I went to UAC and, and did the SOTAR conference in Buffalo and so And I was speaking to a lot of, of younger astrologers, or younger than, <laughs> you know, than, than I necessarily get. And um, a lot of them had trained, you know, um, perhaps on your course, or they're working with, um, you know, traditional techniques, Hellenistic techniques, etc. And when I explained what I did, I was really happy with the openness to it, that it wasn't, you know, I think sometimes we get, you see these things online or, you know, Twitter arguments or whatever, you know, and it's very easy to think that there's this big battle going on, you know, between traditional and, right. you know, and it doesn't need to be. And I mean, you did a talk at the AA conference just the weekend past, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, a renaissance, you know, of finding... Um, translating old texts, you know, bringing new information and then a resynthesis of, you know, what had been going on before. And I think that's what we have coming. And I noticed this, you know, so when you actually go out and talk to people and, you know, I'd explain what I did and they'd say, well, I think that would be useful to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's great because we've got a whole generation who have learnt very in-depth techniques, you know, techniques that perhaps students 20 30 years ago weren't learning so they've got this you know big armory of of tools they can use but they're now looking well how do I use that with a client you know how can I approach that and realizing that you know once you finish the studying and you're then sitting in a room with someone that suddenly things change you know and you can be very very sure of yeah I think this is this and that's going to mean that and and whatever, but then when you're presented one on one with with a person and they're questioning you or asking things, it's very easy to suddenly feel in that awkward position of, of like, oh, this is a lot of responsibility, right? And I, and so I think you know people are now seeing that and and are so are very open to this synthesis, you know, of well, I want to use these techniques, but maybe there's stuff we can also learn from the psychological and, and you know astrology that's that's been running you know recently. And we can bring that together and, and find ways of absolutely serving, you know, the, our clients by using the best techniques that we have at our disposal and also techniques to make sure that they are okay and that, you know, we're looking after them on a, you know, on a psychological level as well as just an astrological level. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to find counseling uh, skills in a second century text, uh, whereas, oh. you know, uh, psycho- modern astrologers have been doing astrology and integrating it with counseling for several decades now for entire careers. And there's a lot of important uh, accumulated wisdom coming from that, that no matter what tradition or approach you're using seems important and and vital to integrate. Yeah. And I I think that's probably the way forward. Um, I mean, I think, and I mean, it's hard to, you know, to see exactly how it will go, but I can see that, you know, certainly, um, I'm enjoying bringing in some more traditional thoughts and stuff into our psychological um, school and and starting to embrace some of those and also, you know, sort of investigate them and see, well, how can we apply this in a psychological context? Um, And then, you know, said for people that, that absolutely want to work traditionally, you know, I think it is important to bring in this idea of, you know, that we are working as counselors, priests, you know, um, in that role of, of someone supporting and guiding someone. 
And so, yeah, I think how the synthesis will go is that, you know, people won't see such a disparity between it and they'll start to see that, that yes, there's a way forward which can use the best of, of both worlds. Um, and, you know, they're not um, antithetical to one another. Um, they actually can work alongside quite well. Sure. Um, so if the goal, it sounds like one of the things is that the underlying goal is making sure that astrology, astrology is helpful in healing. Um, what are some of the things, though, then that could be problematic to avoid? We've talked about like transference, and I'm trying to think of other things that are important for astrologers to be aware of or dynamics that come up in consultations that could be problematic. Um, I mean, I think there are all sorts of, of, of trigger points. Um, I mean, certainly when, when I uh, teach myself, you know, when we look at uh, a consultation as well as looking at, you know, perhaps the consultation chart, obviously the, the client's chart, transits, progressions, and, you know, whatever techniques we want to bring in, I, I will always do a synastry chart between the client and the astrologer. Okay. Um, and I think it's important in several ways. One is to check where, you know, are their planets touching trigger points in our chart and, and vice versa. So, you know, if they have a, a very complicated, you know, I don't know, Moon, Pluto, Saturn arrangement in their chart or whatever, you know, which you know is, is going to be something you're going to be talking about, something important. You know, does that touch one of our planets? You know, are we setting it off? Are we being, is our Saturn conjunct? You know, are we being Saturnian towards that? Are we being, um, you know, is it our moon? Is it our Mars or whatever? And to think about, well, how might that approach be coming across? You know, is that going to be something that helpful to them? Or are we, you know, perhaps if we're not careful, going to go in with a Mars approach and just go, well, it's this, this and this and scare the hell out of them, you know, and take that approach. So that's one thing. Also, vice versa, you know, what's coming back from them? Um, you know, so that if we have one of those complexes, are they touching that? And so inadvertently may start bringing up things in us that's going to affect how we feel about them. You know, do are we going to get on with this client? You know, are we going to feel comfortable with them or is it perhaps going to be hard work or you know we're going to feel perhaps you know worried that we're not good enough or, and all of this type of thing and it helps to prepare for that and be aware of it um i also you, look you know just for very simple things like the communication between it you know even if it's elemental balances you know that type of thing what their mercury how their mercury works this type of thing compared to ours you know so how do they take in information and obviously we can see that in the chart, but, you know, is it a predominantly visual-based thing? You know, is it something based on feelings? Is it based on, you know, logic and they want to follow a process? So, you know, I think we can then look at that and go, right, well, this is how I should amend my communication techniques to make sure they get the most out of it. So you will adjust or adapt your approach based on the client? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think it's a useful thing. I mean, I, I have... Um, personal example, Mercury in Aries. So, you know, it's very easy for me to sort of go in there and go, well, I think <laughs> this, this and this and approach it sort of in a very direct manner and almost try and, you know, give the client a bit of a kick to go, well, you need to get going on this. Um, 
and often that works really well. I, I attract clients that are perhaps ready for that, you know, bit of a boost. Um, but you have to be careful that that's not an approach that, you know, maybe feel intimidating to them or put them on the spot or make them feel they should be doing something when actually, obviously, it's always their decision, you know, what they do next. So you may adapt that to, to you know, put in a more feeling-based mode of um, how do you feel about that and sort of reflecting through it with them and getting them to, to work with it. So that's certainly something I would uh, look at beforehand. So one of the things that I've noticed um, with the revival of traditional astrology and older forms of astrology recently is that it seems like, and it's making me a little nervous, frankly, is that some new students of astrology are starting with traditional astrology and with that technical approach right from the start, which in, in some sense I think is good and it gives them a nice technical basis for astrology. But one of the unintended side effects is they're then skipping over some of the counseling techniques and the, the background psychology for astrologers that people like myself take for granted already since that's what we started with first and that there might be something vital and important about that um, that shouldn't be skipped over in one's early studies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I mean, obviously it's easy to, um, you know, to sort of say, well, this might be a, a good path way to follow. But um, I said, I was, I was, I remember in one of Demetra's books, she sort of mentions the idea that perhaps it's a useful idea, you know, to study a more modern astrology, you know, with the psychological bent first, in that it allows you to understand your role and, and what you're doing. And also perhaps it initially it can be a little bit simpler to learn because you're not crowding as many techniques and, and, and overcoming that. And then obviously once you've got that, sol you know, that basis and that understanding, I mean, you've then got a lifetime to, to delve into all the areas that you would like um, and, and build up the tools that you would like to do. So you can learn different techniques and follow your interests into areas of astrology that work well and I would agree that yeah you know and as you said that that I know your path was sort of learning a modern and, and then developing into that and I think that can be a good I'm certainly enjoying um, the sort of freedom that I have now of I can just delve into a technique learn about it and say okay is that helpful to what I do as an astrologer is it something I want to bring in or is it just something I'll learn, it'll be interesting, and, you know, it may not become part of my day-to-day -day usage. True. And so, I, you know, I think that can be a, a useful way, way of, of learning astrology. Um, and as you say, it's very easy, I think, to dive into those techniques and get absolutely fascinated. Oh, you can do this and, and working out, and you're working out all the um, Time Lord stuff and, you know, perfections for the year, you know, all of those techniques and then it can be easy to get lost of, of well where do I go with this and how do I feed it into a sort of one-to-one -one reading uh, without it being a list of this this and this right and so I mean certainly one of the things I tell my students is that actually less is more with an actual consultation um, in that you know when we get carried away with a lot of techniques and or when we spend you know weeks and weeks preparing for a client, writing notes or whatever. I always say to them, well, that's fine to do that, but be prepared to not touch, you know, more than about 10% of that when you're actually in the room with them. Right. 
because you know the important thing is one what does the what does that person need right now you know is it any help for them to know that you know this this is something to do with their venus when they're actually worried about a work situation or, or whatever right um and so what is relevant for them right now and also how much can they take in you know we're familiar with this language and we, we're talking about it in that way and yet, you know, for them, it's sounding like a huge amount of information coming in at once and really hard to deal with and, and know what to do with. Yeah, the, the client, the use of language on the part of the astrologer and, and how that sounds to a client. I know that that's been a major topic of discussion and focus in the psychological, astrological community over the past two decades. Mm. I mean, you know, it's something we always look at and I think it's important um, not to get rid of astrological jargon um, because we need that jargon to show people we are following rules. You know, we're working this out. And so I like to present them with the chart. And even if they don't understand, I like to say, okay, so, you know, your Venus is here. It's square to Mars. You know, this is what they do. But to, to ground it in the astrological language and whatever language, you know, you want to use but to sort of point out that it's a chart you're following. Because I think the danger, if we, if we skip the jargon altogether, we come across as, as a medium. You know, we're just knowing this stuff out of thin air. Um, and if that's your particular approach, it's one thing. But I think in general, as astrologers, we want to show that, you know, it is techniques and ancient techniques that we are following and working with that, you know, that we want the client to understand. So I think that's an important thing. But yes, it's also not about not overwhelming them, um, you know, too much. You know, do they really need to know, you know, the sect, the, um, you know, the, that it's in detriment or whatever? You know, sometimes that may not be useful to them. It's great for you to know and, and to build your interpretation on that. But I think, you know, keeping it slightly simpler, um, you know, will probably work better for them. Right. Or even the issue of using what can come off as, as scary language to the client. Like there was a lot of discussion in the 60s and 70s about the terms benefic and malefic, for example, yeah. and their appropriateness in a, in a consulting setting. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, sometimes it can sound, you know, you know, we use it's a challenging thing or it's a, a growth thing, you know, and sometimes these words can sound almost a little bit too trite or, or whatever. I think there's, there's a balance to be found. Um, I don't think there's a problem saying, you know, well, actually, this can be a little bit difficult for your Mars, but then explaining to them how that might feel. And I think that's the important thing is translating it to, to how they might actually, how it might actually manifest in their life. Um, you know, being told you have a, you know, a malefic <laughs> in a sign of its detriment, or what, you know, is quite intense language for someone to say, you know, and isn't really that helpful. Whereas explaining what the outcomes of that might be, you know, so how that Mars doesn't fulfill its task or, or leads them astray or, you know, whatever you think it does, that's a far more helpful approach. And then also, I think, you know, an explanation of, of why that is and how they can work with that rather than, you know, the danger, I think, when we use language like that is them feeling well this is fated this is set in stone i can't escape this and you know i think maybe not all but most of us you know think well that there are at least there are ways you can work better with this there are ways that you can um see it as 
a tool uh, rather than a constant adversary to, to what you're trying to do in your life. And so that use of language, I think, is important. And it's, it's always a dialogue worth having. And I think it's something that will probably change over and over again. You know, I think there was a danger um, from the psychological side of it getting um, almost too easy. You know, that, you know, if everything is to do with growth and everything is to do with, you know, well, it might be a challenge. You know, it, it maybe doesn't appreciate how hard the client might be struggling with this. Sure. You know, and certainly, you know, the idea of, you know, a difficult transit or, or whatever that you're trying to explain, you know, just talking about the meaning of it, you know, well, this is good for growth. And, you know, you'll look back on this and see this as a period. That's no use to a person if they're going through crap. Sure. Um, and so I think it, that I would see also as a psychological, you know, which is empathizing with that client of like, yeah, this is awful. This is a horrible thing to be going with, through. And you may look back in the future, but right now, this is how it feels. And maybe be able to give them a few techniques, you know, psychological techniques or tips that, that can help them cope with it. You know, whether that's, you know, mindfulness or distraction even, you know, for, for, for this time that they're doing it. And I think that's, that's the discussion we have. And, and this is the sort of thing that I think needs to be taught in all courses. Um, you know, I think there is room for how we work with a client in every course. And it shouldn't just be business approach, you know, this is how you can make money out of it, or, uh, you know, a, a technical approach of, of what you do, you know, maybe an order that you want to look through a chart and, and help like that. But it should also be, you know, a, a thing in every course, well, this is how you work when there's a real person sitting there who might get upset, who might cry while you're talking to them. Um, which, if you're not used to that, that will really throw you the first time it happens. And it's not that uncommon if you're, you know, touching on things that are very important. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like one of the things you're getting to that's really important here is the focus on not talking necessarily, even though you might list scenarios or possibilities of like a transit that's coming up, talking more about how the person will feel during that time and how such a transit might affect them emotionally as being the most important underlying thing rather than focusing on trying to predict the specific manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly the angle we come from, if you like. And I mean, I, you know, I often want, is it helpful to pin down, well, it will manifest in this way mm. um, and perhaps be wrong because we've slightly, you know, we've, we've related it or corresponded it to something that perhaps, you know, it hasn't manifested. Or, you know, is it more helpful to go, this is, a, you know, a long transit. It's a Pluto transit or, you know, and this is what many people experience during it. And help them with that, you know, not to scare them because they probably come to see you when it's already started. Um, not to scare them, but to say, okay, you know, I understand you're probably feeling like this right now. And, and you reflect and you wait to, to listen to, you know, to what they have to say. And explain what the process is. Explain how you can work with a Pluto transit, work with a Saturn transit, you know, and, and be totally honest. Well, no, it, it's often quite hard for people, but this is the best way to approach it. 
and you know to get something out of it rather than you know be huddled in a corner going when's this going to end right and so that's what i think is important um and it, and again it comes back to listening to what they have to say as well you know validate their experience of it i mean i'm often people are surprised you know if i've done a, a consultation with them when they listen back to the audio they're like well i spoke so much and and i'm happy with that you know it, it is it shouldn't be an hour hour and a half of me just talking at them right you know it's a dialogue and that's why i always use the word consultation rather than reading um, you know, I, I want to engage with them. I want to know how it's working for them uh, and explain, you know, how they can then perhaps work with that and, and what it means in the con- greater context of their whole life. And so I, I need to hear what they have to say. I need to be listening to them and making sure that I understand what they're saying as well. So, yes, clients will talk for an awful lot, you know, in my consultations. But I see that as, you know, you wouldn't expect to go to see a doctor and walk in the room and just stand there and go, what's wrong with me? You know, <laughs> there's got to be that dialogue. Well, I can look at the trans. Okay, it seems like you're going through this. I imagine it feels like this. But you need them to go, yes, that is how it's manifesting in my life, you know, or not. And so that's the thing. It's, you know, that dialogue between. And so I always make sure my clients know before they come, you know, that, that's what I'm going to do. Right. That this is a dialogue, not a lecture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, in my view, you know, a lecture is no help to you. Um, you know, we've all been to lectures and sometimes we'll take some of that stuff in, but, you know, it's only got to push us in a certain way or feel uncomfortable or even just not quite feel, well, that's not quite what I'm experiencing. You know, I understand what you're saying, but it's not quite how I am. Well, they need that opportunity to go, well, I'm feeling it like this. And then you can look at the chart and go, oh, actually, no, maybe that's bringing that in as well. You know, it's bringing in that Mars aspect that may be a bit wide, but maybe that, that is how it works in their life. So the dialogue helps you to focus it and narrow in on things and maybe even clarify things so that you can have a sharper um, discussion and interpretation of the things that are relevant to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, to make it about them. Um, you know, it's not about me showing them how much I know about astrology. That's hopeless to them. Right. Um, you know, it, it's about them and how they feel. And so, you know, I think, I mean, that's the way I like to, to work with people. And, you know, and I, and I think it probably allows the best results. It's one of those things, I think, when, we're, when we've just finished studying, we can be quite nervous about, what we know, what we don't know, you know, and we're not used to preparing a chart and, and this type of thing. It can be very easy to be overwhelmed and think, I've got to impress this person. I've got to show them how much knowledge, you know, I've got to just launch into a whole diet, you know, um, diatribe, if you like, about this is what I know. So that they'll go, oh, wow. It isn't about the astrologer. It isn't about you as, as that person. It's about them. There's something kind of like egoic, I don't know if that's the right term for that um, tendency that sometimes astrologers have, especially newer students. And what's important about your saying is just needing to reorient that away from yourself and your anxiety or what have you to them and what they actually need at that moment. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's easy. I'm not criticizing. I think we all go through that, that sure. thing of, you know, that there's that need. We're worried. 
we, we, you know, we, we want them to, to like us. We want them to be, you know, go, yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, we need that feedback in order to feel that what we've learned hasn't been in vain. So I'm not knocking that. Um, it, it's just about becoming aware of that and, and you know, realising that actually you're really not that important in the process. You know, you are sowing seeds, if you like. You're sowing ideas, you know, of this may be what you're feeling um, and, and allowing them to work with that and, and to come back to you with their experiences so then you can go deeper. I mean, one of the, uh, yeah, let's address this here. One of the criticisms often of psychological astrology is that we use really big orbs. Um, not just in a natal chart, we use them for transits or, or whatever. And, and most people say, how can you use a 10 degree orb for a Pluto transit? Okay, so 10 degrees, that's considered really big? I, I've certainly been criticised in the, in the past okay. for, for using, you know, orbs that big. Now, I appreciate you look back at some of the traditional ones, you know, and it's when it enters the sign, and, you know. And, and so I think we're starting to, to revise that through our studies. But, you know, the way I, I've always thought, you know, psychologically, you think of a, a big change in your life, which, say, a Pluto transit to the sun is, Right. You know, um, that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. You know, you, you feel a shift in things coming years before, you know, you're starting to change. You're not sure. Oh, I'm not sure I want to do that anymore. I'm not sure I like that anymore. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this relationship anymore. And it builds up and builds up. And then maybe a couple of things happening when it's closer. And then it moves away. Well, it doesn't finish when it moves away. It's still there. And often that's the process where you're working through and saying, Oh, now I see, you know, because you've made that change in your life and then you're then coming to terms with that and seeing how you've changed as a person. So from those first feelings of, you know, sound of drums in the distance to going, oh, yeah, no, I've really changed over, you know, and you look back and go, yeah, that's when I changed. That's the process of, of that whole period. Right, because sometimes, while well, there can occasionally be like an event around the exact degree, let's yeah. say, for the sake of argument, oftentimes you're looking at it more from the standpoint of like a developmental process, which is usually a much longer term sequence of events. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yes, as you say, there may be, you know, an event or two along the way or, or, or a push of something, you know, maybe, I don't know, you leave a partner or you decide to move or you you know, and, and those add into it. But, you know, that's not the process. It's not about that moment in time that you that something happens to you or you do that. Uh, I mean, a simple thing, you know, an accident. Well, yeah, the accident is that moment. But your behaviour up to that may have helped cause that accident and how you then adapt to what happened to the accident comes after. So it's still that period of a process, isn't it? So, you know, I, I, that's the way to look at it. But as you say, you know, it used to be a criticism of psychological shortages of these vast all, but I think it is shifting. Yeah, I love that the traditional take, astrologers will now take that criticism now, and you guys are kind of off the hook a little mm. bit. What, using, exactly. Using <laughs> How can you look at it when it just goes in there? Right. But no, I, I, and I agree with it. And, and I was pleased, you know, so looking through some of the, you know, the older texts of going, well, yeah, yeah, they, they recognize that this isn't a, you know, it's not all about what might happen when this is here, you know, but it, again, that it's a, a long-term thing. Right. And that's actually really great from a technical standpoint. I almost want to say one of the greatest technical innovations of 
late 20th century psychological astrology is to look at transits as cycles of development and looking at most things as cycles of development so that looking at like the Saturn return and looking at that within the context of the entire Saturn cycle and the important turning points during the course of it, as well as other long-term cycles like the Uranus uh, squares and opposition and things like that. That's very important, I would assume, to your work, at least in terms of transit analysis. Absolutely, yeah. You know, uh, we're looking at, you know, that idea of, you know, that something starts at that conjunction point, you know, start the cycle. So at birth and then, you know, the next Saturn return, if we take Saturn as an example. And then you're looking at those big points along it and seeing it as a process going through. So, you know, something is started at that Saturn return, if you like. Um, and it's usually, a, I mean, with Saturn, it's usually a checkpoint. You know, am I happy with where things are? You know, do I feel um, that I've achieved something or am I beating myself up for having failed totally at what I planned, you know, or thought I had in my head to do? And then you've got these checkpoints. So, you know, you maybe feel comfortable with the sextiles and trines that you're working at something and, you know, that, that you decided then. But then at the squares and the oppositions, you know, you're getting those challenges or someone's blocking you or you're, or you're blocking yourself by feeling doubts or worrying that you've done the wrong thing and this type of thing. And so seeing that as a whole process and, you know, looking back at that point, well, what happened last time this happened? You know, and looking back in those periods of seven years ago for the last square or, you know, 29 years ago for the, the last time it was there, this type of thing. So it's a constant, you know, checking through and, and working with that. And I mean, it, I like working with the cycles because they're constants in people's life for everybody. Mm-hmm. So they're very useful tools for students because, you know, whereas transits will happen depending on where that person's planets are, you know, you get very used to seeing clients coming around their Saturn return or around, you know, the, the Uranus opposite. Um, opposition, the Neptune square, things like that, you know, th- these are big points in people's lives. Um, and I think that's interesting and, and it's useful as a, um, as a, as a, when you're starting out working with clients to, to recognize those. And people find it incredibly helpful just to go, you're not alone in this. Right. You know, every one of your age is going through this and you've probably got friends, if you're still in touch with people, you're saying it you know, that have, have done this, that are happy because they've achieved something or suffering depression because they they feel like their life's a mess and their 30s coming up and, you know, all of that type of thing. And the same with, the you know, the, the sort of mid-40 ones. Um, even just telling people that they're not alone, uh, you know, and explaining the process can be incredibly helpful to people. Mm. And they don't necessarily need to know all the ins and outs of, of what might happen, but just going, oh, that's good. I thought it was just me. Right. And and that in and of itself, when you go through and talk about a person's past and you use the past to predict and anticipate the future becomes like a, a technical approach, but also that becomes your way of demonstrating the astrology is working in a way that's a little bit safer by showing them how it's worked out in their past rather than just making a prediction that's unverifiable in the present about their, their future. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's useful to say, you know, what were you doing seven years ago? What was happening then? And then you can say, well, that was the opposition. You're now at the square. Can you see similar themes cropping up? And, you know, that one, yes, you're validating astrology for them because they're going, oh, yeah. Um, but 
but two, you're giving them something helpful. And I mean, when it is a, a difficult transit, you know, or one you might struggle with, like it's useful to be able to look back and go, yeah, that was tough, but I got through it. Right. You know, it worked out okay. Um, and for all of us, that can be a useful thing, you know, just to know I've come through the other side. You right. know? Um, it's like if you, if you suffer from depression or something like that, knowing that you've been through it before and come out and had a, you know, a period of years where you felt fine again, and maybe you've slipped into it, depression again, but at least you know, well, I did it before. You know, it takes time, but then you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you do come out. And I think, you know, things like that are helpful for people. They're not particularly, you know, they may be based in astrology, but just knowing the way people work, you know, knowing how, how people's psychology works is helpful in our work with them. You know, and you're not saying, well, just, well, this transit will be over, but helping them with the psychological process of it. Yeah, there's something reassuring about that, in a, in a sense. I think, I think people do find reassurance that, that, you know, they've done something before. Um, you know, it's like, stupid example, but, you know, you may be frightened about doing a bungee jump. But once you've done a bungee jump, you either, <laughs> you know, you survived right. and, and you either enjoyed it or you didn't. So the next time you do it, you might be standing there still very frightened, but, right. you know, but it was fine before, off you go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's just part of, of how we work as people. But That's a great analogy. I'm trying to think of which transits I might like into a bungee <laughs> jump, maybe a Saturn, <laughs> Saturn transit or Uranus transit. <laughs> Probably a Uranus one. I could feel like that sometimes. Right. So in terms of modern psychology, um, one of the contributions, of course, was the work of Freud, and uh, that contributed a lot in terms of discussions of psychology, and some of that's still used to some extent today, and some of it's not as much. Um, one of the criticisms, I think, that we've talked about that sometimes other astrologers or other traditions level at psychological astrology is there being too much focus on on the parents or, or dynamics within the family as something that's a great focus in that approach. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting one. And I mean, obviously the Freudian approach, you know, of, of Oedipus complexes and um, Electra complexes and stuff like that, you know, are very much that sort of focus on, you know, almost comes down to the, it's all the fault of the parents. Um, that, you know, whilst certainly we look at the family dynamics within psychological astrology, because it, it is important without, within our relationships. You know, we learn how to relate or how not to relate, you know, from that very early stage, purely with our interactions with, with family. And it's not just mom and dad, it's siblings, aunts, uncles, neighbors, you know, all of that type of thing gets brought in. And maybe we should just establish like that that's true. I mean, that is an important, <laughs> yeah. like, and was not necessarily a thing in astrology prior to the 20th century, while you cut, might identify things about the parents or siblings or family members, like talking about the effect of those relationships on the native psychology and their future life choices. That's a huge and very important contribution we should establish in psychological astrology. Yeah. I, I mean, as I said, I think there's a balance, if you like. Uh, and I think one of the criticisms, and not of just psychological, but of psychology, is this idea of blaming. Uh, you know, blaming the parents. And, and so therefore, you know, sort of escaping any blame yourself. But, you know, it all being the fault of your parents. I mean, um, you've got the poem, They Fuck You Up, Your Mum and Dad, which is the, the classic sort of thing that it's passed on 
from generation to generation. But, you know, the way we tend to approach, you know, is that this is an image of mom, of dad, of, of siblings. And it isn't just, it's not just what they did. It's not about them. You know, the, the description in the chart is not just saying, well, this is what they were like, but how your perception of them was. Okay. Because we all work with, you know, with our, through our filters of perception, and we filter things through our chart, as we do as astrologers as well. And so, therefore, you know, the, it may be that the, the needs of the client sitting in front of you, you know, maybe you see they've got a, uh, I don't know, a moon in Cancer square Uranus for example. And so it could be that they saw mum as that moon and so being clingy and, you know, wanting to hold them and keep them in the family and they, and they feel the, the Uranus part of the square and it's like, this is too much, I feel stifled, mum was stifling, she was oppressive and this type of thing. Or it can work the other way, which is that mum's doing the Uranian thing and going, well, you cope, you get on with that, I'm doing my own thing. And, you know, the client is sitting there with the cancer moon going, well, actually, I need some contact here, you know, and you're not giving me enough contact that I wanted. And so that's not a blame on anything. It's not that it's a bad mother or, you know, whatever. It's just that there was a, a disconnect between the needs of the person and how their parents worked with that. And I think that, you know, that's an important way to work with it, you know, of not, well, this is what your mum did, bad mother, you're blameless. But to, you know, to talk about the expectations of the client from the structure of their chart, you know, what are they looking for? Because that's going to carry through when they start dating, you know, or having relationships, um, sorry, having work relationships, etc. You know, all of those patterns are going to pop up again and, and those expectations will be there. So, that you know, the father that abandoned you becomes well, the, the boss that never helps you and you're carrying all the responsibility or you know, the partner that, that also always seems to abandon you. And it's important to address, you know, the, the, the client is, is part and parcel. You can't take it out and it's not a, a blame game. But yes, all those early relationships are very, very important. And I mean, one of the things that I've sort of been working with more and more, you know, is the idea of narrative, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm. Um, and, you know, whilst, say, you know, Freud analysis, Jungian analysis spends an awful lot of time sitting, perhaps going through all these past patterns and talking about, you know, the things that, you know, that perhaps one of the more modern techniques, how can we rewrite things? Um, actually, it's not modern because the Stoics did it, but, you know, that, that idea of, of taking it from a different perspective and, and what is in your control and what isn't. Um, but, you know, the, that idea of, of, of narrative is, you know, well, here is a story and, it is a story. You know, the story of your life is not the truth. You'll tell it one version. You've been told stuff by, you know, your aunts, your uncles, your parents of what you were like as a child and you take that for gospel. You know, you were a naughty child or you were such an angel as a child. And, you know, you take that and go, well, I must have been that. I don't remember that. And that becomes part of your story. And we build it up over time, you know, what teachers say to us, what partners say to us, what we're telling ourselves is our own internal dialogue. And you can see those patterns within the chart. You know, this is likely to be the story they tell themselves. And so therefore working with that, you know, allows you to go, well, hang on a minute, maybe this needs reframing. You know, maybe we can tell a different story. 
And it's amazing how just a shift of focus within that idea of how you view yourself, you know, rather than being the victim, how can we rewrite that story? And I mean, no, it's not overnight and it takes time and it takes working with a counsellor to do that, but, you know, to, to change that. And as astrologers, I, I think we can work with that quite well because we've got those, you know, archetypal planetary patterns within the chart. You know, we know what Saturn is likely to crop up in as a story as, you know, we know what Mars will turn up as, we know what the moon might be. And so you can, you can look at those and go, well, okay, how might that work differently? You know, if they actually had a conversation or they actually tried to compromise a bit, you know, and, and you can get the client to work with, you know, a different idea. And I said, you know, it's not a magic fix for things. It's something that takes time. But I think it is a, a useful adjunct. And, you know, I see our role as an astrologer often is a storyteller. You know, we're, we're colluding with them in their story. But, you know, but we also have that, I think, ability as a sort of narrator of their story to say, well, hang on, could you look at that differently? You know, is there another way of, of that story ending or, or being? Um, and I think that can be very useful. And, and so that's why I'm talking about, you know, we mustn't stand still on the psychology of things. You know, it's worth bringing in new ideas, new ways it's, that, you know, psychologists as a separate thing are working at. And I mean, I think it's one of those things. It's very easy for, you know, if you study a subject inherently, it's very easy to get locked into that bit of it. You know, so I study Hellenistic astrology, so I'm just going to read the books on that. Um, and it's, it happens in science. You know, biologists read biology books. They don't necessarily read physics stuff. Right. And so it, it can be hard to when you have these crossovers, you know, and I think it's important that we're all open to what's going on everywhere. You know, so changes in the world, whether it's in AI, whether it's in robotics, you know, are going to affect all of us. And they're going to affect us as astrologers. They're going to affect people as psychologists. They're going to affect, you know, jobs, except, you know, so many fields of life that it's important, I think, that we don't just focus our attention on, well, this is what interests me. And it's just that, that, that we, you know, read widely. And so, you know, that's why I encourage my students, yeah, you've got to read traditional texts as well as, um, you know, the psychological text, but you should also be reading psychology journals and, you know, look at astrological ones, but but don't lose sight of what's happening in the world or what films are coming out or what, you know, popular culture is doing. You know, I think it's all feeds in and it's important. And I think as astrologers, that's part of our role. We need to be able to take an overview of everything. And yes, we're framing it with what's going on in the sky, but, you know, Within that, those charts and, and, you know, what's going on now, we have that understanding of, well, this is probably going to be a trend. This is probably going to be what the next films are about, right. you know, and, and this type of thing. So we're, we're uniquely placed, I think, better than a lot of other professions to do that. So I think we should embrace that role and make sure that we, we fit in that as sort of, you know, citizens of everything or people that are interested in everything and, and not just narrow everything down. Yeah. Plus it's such a broad field that it's too much for any one person to master in a single lifetime. Yeah. So the only way around that is to talk with a network with practitioners from other specialty areas that might have spent a lifetime focusing on something that you just can't get that deep into, but you can still learn from some of the, the nicer things that they've discovered. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and I think it, that's what's so beautiful about what's happening in astrology at the moment is that, you know, I think, you know, we're at a good point in time where, where we have experts in so many different fields of it that, you know, it's, yeah, it's just about networking and, and talking and seeing what is of use to you, but also appreciating what others are doing as being useful to the, you know, the practice as a whole. Sure. Um, and so there are two points really quickly as we start to get towards the end of this that I just wanted to bring up, uh, maybe we could circle back to. One of them is um, I loved how you talked about how the perception of different family members, especially the parents on the part of the native or the individual may not necessarily reflect how that person is objectively or to like other observers in the important way in which the birth chart can sometimes color or at least show how the native's perception of those individuals in their life is colored in different ways. Um, and then the other, the second one further back was just, there was a statement you were making about describing instead of the concrete specifics or trying to predict the concrete specifics, instead how the person might feel emotionally during a transit. And it almost seemed like um, what is happening there then is it's getting closer to describing the archetype in some sense, which might itself not be something you can articulate but describing the emotion is probably a lot closer to describing the archetype than attempting to describe the many different possible concrete manifestations. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to the first one. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the idea of the perception there, I, I mean, if you take a very simple um, example, you know, if you have brothers or sisters, most likely you know, their moon aspects, their sun aspects, or, you know, whatever you use to denote mum and dad, house, customer, you know, are going to be in different signs and make different aspects. And if you talk to a sibling, you know, I know I have a very different view of my dad than my sister did. Um, and it's like, well, therefore, you know, which is true. Right. <laughs> and we're back to this narrative again as well. Um, but which is true. And the answer is, well, they both are. But it's just that, you know, my sister's, set of patterns in her chart says okay you know you adored dad <laughs> when you were little and then as you got older you found him difficult you found him you know obstructing you and this type of thing and it shifted you know whereas mine was perhaps more constant throughout my life and it wasn't necessarily close relationship but it was you know it was fine it was, it was easy you know we got on there wasn't any specific big problems and so, you know, you can look at that within charts. Why it's always interesting to compare charts of family members and, and to, you know, talk with sets of people in, in a family. But, um, but, you know, I think immediately that shows, well, that, you know, those characteristics in that chart are not therefore just describing what dad was like, what mum was like. Right. There's this interesting sort of like relativism to it then that's almost inherent in astrology. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's quite fascinating. And, you know, it is that thing. It can be interesting, you know, if you're working some over a period of time to say, you know, if you can get permission from their brother or sister to, to look at their chart as well. And well, how did they see your mum? Right. What was different, you know, and bring out, the, you know, and then you bring out <laughs> the relationship between the siblings, you know, was there jealousy there because mum seemed to prefer this one over, over that one, you know, and you can unlock these family patterns. And as I said, you know, it's not about getting hung up on that family pattern, but it's then relating that idea of, you know, well, if you're jealous of your sister, how does that relate to your female friends? You know, or at least of ones that remind you a bit of your sister or work colleagues, etc. And in unpicking those, it can really help that person go, actually, you know what? 
Julie at work isn't that bad. She just reminds me of my sister, but she's not really like that, you know, and it's all, again, the projections that we're putting onto people. And suddenly your life at work is much easier because you're not worried about what Julie from accounts is, you know, is saying about you every day. Right. Um, yeah. So that seems really important as an aspect of things. And, and we were getting into that discussion because you brought up earlier before we recorded just that you felt like sometimes there was a criticism that psychological astrology was too focused on on family or parent parental dynamics. Yeah, I think that, you know, and again, um, it depends on people, you know, but it, but I think it's been a criticism, you know, as I said, of psychology itself as well, you know, oh, it's all about going back into your past and, and looking at that. Sure. Um, but it, but as you said, uh, you know, it, it's, it's about not losing sight that, yes, that is incredibly important within um, relationships, but also, you know, we're not just focusing on that, but we're turning it back to the client and going, well, how do you feed into this? You know, what are you expecting from life? And it's one of the interesting, you know, to sort of lead into the second part, you know, you look at, say, um, parental significance of the chart that have outer planet, you know, there, um, or even some of the, you know, Jupiter, Saturn as well. But, you know, there's an archetypal thing to mum and dad because, you know, it's not just about your mum and dad. It's about your perception of, you know, what the archetype of mum and dad is. And then then following from there, whether your real mum and dad actually managed to fit into that. And the chances are that, you know, if you do have that, perhaps when they were little, yes, they did play that role. But then as you get older, you've realised that, well, actually they've become human, you know, and they're no longer that, they're no longer... Dad isn't Saturn or Mum isn't Pluto. Um, but, you know, that archetypal thing can linger over it so that, you know, even though we perhaps recognised Mum as human, it still hangs over a bit in relationships. Or it can be that, as can be the case sometimes with it, with an absent parent, you know, maybe um, a parent dies or a parent leaves. You know, if you have, say, a son, Neptune, where, that sees the, the father as being this sort of all-embracing, you know, Neptunian figure. And there's no real dad to, to bounce that off of and, and to sort of correct that and, and have it come back down to earth. Then the chances are when you go into relationship, well, you're still looking for this God and, and not a real person. And so bringing stuff like that and sort of gently working with the client on that allows them to then, if you like, come back down to earth and, and have more realistic expectations of, of what they want in a relationship and how that might work. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then also, as we're getting towards the end of this, um, so that final point just about how there's something about describing the way a person will experience the emotions of a transit, especially a long-term transit, as being almost more archetypal uh, than the specific manifestations, which can be so numerous that it's uh, sometimes very difficult to, to pick up on the specific one, whereas you yeah. can articulate an emotion and that will cover such a range of ground that in some ways that's more personal and is going to be more accurate than a, a specific manifestation. Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think if you take something like a, a Neptune transit, it's going to take a long time. I mean, it's going to depend on on each individual client as to how well, they cope with Neptune in their own chart. You know, it's not just for everybody. But that feeling of, of Neptune, if you're not familiar with it, 
you know, can be very overwhelming. You can feel lost. You can suddenly find yourself wandering about the streets, even though you know the area and go, well, where am I? Um, and whilst, yes, you know, there could be an actual manifestation, you know, your basement gets flooded, you're, um, you know, something very, we can go, oh, yes, <laughs> Neptune, you know, something like that. Right. It's actually not that important with regards to the person's life. You know, it, it's the process of what is going through, you know, what is Neptune about and how does that affect, you know, most people and therefore what might they be feeling and what might they need to be looking at in their life in order to, you know, to, to come to an understanding with it and to work with it. Right. How is that affecting you internally and therefore how is that affecting your overall developmental process? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and what's it almost, you know, what's it teaching you? You know, what can you learn from this process, if you like? You know, yet, yes, there may be good things happen. There may be bad things happen. You know, um, again, if you take the Neptune, you might absolutely fall in love with someone, but then find, you know, it crumbles. You put them on a pedestal and they're not the person you thought. You know, there right. can be all these manifestations of it. But what is this process? You know, what... What are your dreams, if you like? What, what are you holding close to yourself in a Neptunian sense? And how might they, they have to be reassessed? You know, what is important to sort of allow to drift away and, and boundaries broken down and what is important to, to still carry on with, you know? Yeah, so maybe the difference between saying like with the Neptune seventh house or Venus transit, like you will fall in love with somebody and over-idealize them and become disillusioned versus saying, looking internally and saying, perhaps there's a tendency that you're having during this time to put people on a pedestal. And that's something that might be worth um, acknowledging and looking into in yourself is something that you haven't fully worked out yet, but that might be, it might be time to at this time. Absolutely. You know, I mean, cause I, I don't think it helps, you know, if you take that exact example, if I see them with it coming up, if I say to them, well, you may fall in love, but be careful around it, you know, because they may not be what they seem. Right. Um, that's no help to them, is it? Because, as you know, probably all of us know, when you fall in love, you don't take notice of advice like that. I'm in love with oh, no, this is an amazing person. So you're never going to listen to it. Right. You're never going to hear it. And so, you know, to, to talk about the process... And to maybe say, yeah, this may affect your romantic life or, you know, whatever, and, and just subtly bring it in. But also to say, you know, maybe it is about, you know, what you're looking for. Look at those expectations and to, and to, to feed it back rather than, well, this could happen as, as an event that you then move on from. You know, well, has this happened to you before? You know, do, right. have you ever fallen in love? You know, and then months later, you're like, oh, that person was terrible. That was the wrong person. You know, do you think that might be partly within you, you know, and then look at those prior relationships and look at perhaps parental relationships, you know, where does that come from? Right. And, and talk about how that might be worked with and how that might be part of this longer process of the Neptune transit. And I think that's far more helpful to anyone than saying this could happen. Yeah. And acknowledging the parts of a person's life that are especially recurring events that are in some ways of their own creation, even if there are, that's not everything and there's things that are outside of our control, that there are sometimes things that we bring about in our lives um, on, uh, through the unconscious or just through not being aware that those are dynamics that we're manifesting and helping the client to identify them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's really important. I mean, I think, I think we spoke about that when I 
talked about my sinistry book with you um, on the podcast, but but yes, you know that thing, the repeating patterns is such a huge part, I think, of people's lives, and you know we all catch ourselves. Why is that happening again? Or, or why did I fall for the same type of person again? Or whatever, and. It's very easy to get into that fated way of thinking of like, well, this always happens, mm. rather than go, why? Right. Why does it always happen? And is there something I can do about it? Or is there something I haven't understood about myself that could actually change that? And I mean, that's the, the lovely thing about doing this work, you know, is to be able to, to very gently present it to the person, you know, and, and sometimes see that realisation that, oh, actually maybe... You know, the partner that leaves you isn't always because they're a terrible person, but almost because actually there's a part of you that needs a lot of freedom in relationships that you haven't acknowledged yet. And, and that that's something you've got to work in, you know, and discuss with potential partners. Okay, I need a lot of space. Do you need a lot of space too? You know, and, and talk things through rather than, than it always be, this always happens to me, my life's terrible. So it's almost like that's identifying if there's a f such thing as fate, that's the fate is that tendency towards those predispositions, but then the focus becomes um, actualizing your potential or your free will, if you want to call it that, to you know potentially break out of some of those or at least negotiate them differently than you might if you weren't paying attention. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's, there's the young quote you know, of, of what isn't made conscious you know, appears to us as fate. Um, and that's what happened, <laughs> you know. And so because it seems to always be happening, we go, oh, my life is fated. And, you know, it's an interesting one to play with, with, I mean, always an ongoing discussion with astrology about fate and free will, etc. But, you know, I think it's an important adjunct to that. You know, are we creating our own fate by not becoming conscious, of, you know, of these things? And, and so... I think that plays into it. And it's actually quite a nice way of working with the chart in that it actually incorporates a little bit of both. Brilliant. Well, that's, uh, I think, I feel like that's a really good stopping point. Um, sure. Where can people find out more information if they want to, to study with you or learn more about psychological astrology? Okay. Well, our um, website, so we're called MISPA, um, and the website is mercuryinternetschool.com. Okay. And then um, you also have a personal, like a consulting site, right? Yes, um, I'm at uh, psychologicalastrology.com. Psychological astrology. It's a lot to type in, but it's <laughs> perfect. It's easy to remember. And um, and then, then finally, you have written a book, which we did an interview about previously. I can't remember what episode it was, but you've written a book on sinistry. That's right. Yeah, it's called Do You Love Me? Yeah. Um, and available from the usual places. Okay. Find bookstores everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thank you so much, Chris. Enjoyed it. Mm -hmm.